We turn to Daniel chapter 5 this morning, where we see that very familiar statement of the handwriting on the wall. Daniel chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading at verse 17, and we read in Jesus' name. Daniel chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts for yourself, or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. O king, the most high God, granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared alive, and whomever he wished, he elevated, and whomever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became proud, so that he behaved arrogantly, he was disposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of beasts. And his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven, until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind, that he sets over it whoever he wishes. Yet you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways, you have not glorified. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, as we have been studying this uh, book of Daniel, we see so clearly the pride and the arrogance of man exalting itself against you, O God. How foolish it is to take our stand against the Most High God, to think that we can live any way we want to live and there will be no consequences. The Lord, remind us, of the truth that there will come a day of reckoning. And remind us, O God, that Jesus Christ has paid that price for us, that we can stand before you trusting in you, Lord Jesus, and knowing that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen. If I told you that I blew my top, would you think that the top of my head literally came off? Probably a silly question to a bald man to ask. You'd say, yeah, it kind of looks like it, right? No, what would I mean? I got angry. I blew my top, right? Or if I said, I put my foot in my mouth. Would that mean literally I grabbed my foot and stuck it in my mouth? Obviously not. It would mean I said something that I probably shouldn't have said. Expressions like these are what we call idioms. We don't take them literally because they aren't meant to be taken literally unless your name is Amelia 
Bedelia, right? Ever read any of her books? Yeah, she didn't understand idioms, did she? She took everything literally. There are several idioms that people use regularly that come from the Bible, and they may not even know that. A drop in the bucket. You've heard that phrase used before. That's found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15. It refers to a very small quantity of something, especially in comparison to what is needed. Just a drop in the bucket. How about the handwriting on the wall? You hear people use that today? A lot of people use it. They probably don't know it comes from the Bible, but it comes right from this text of Scripture in Daniel chapter 5. And it means that there are clear signs that something unpleasant, something unwelcome is about to happen. So if I said to you this morning that for you personally, the handwriting is on the wall, that would not be a positive thing, would it? Something is about to happen, something unpleasant, something unwelcome. As we look at this fifth chapter now of of Daniel, we see really quite an abrupt change. In the first four chapters of Daniel, we've been dealing with a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. But now we come to chapter 5, and just very abruptly, kind of out of nowhere, here comes a new king by the name of, of Belshazzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar is no longer in the picture, and a few kings who followed after him are, are not even mentioned. We come then to uh, several years down the road, the end of the Babylonian Empire. Now that is a very significant thing, that this glorious, majestic, worldwide power is now going to come to an end. The very night it came to an end, we see described here in our text. Handwriting on the wall was a clear sign that something very unpleasant was going to happen, and it happened very quickly. I'd suggest to you there are three lessons we learn in this chapter. First of all, the handwriting is on the wall for those who refuse to humble themselves before God. Daniel tells us in verse 1 of this chapter that Belshazzar was holding a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, which would suggest that he had a pretty uh, large group of, of nobles. And while they're drinking wine, he gives orders to out the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem when Jerusalem was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel tells us in verse 3 what they did with them. He says that the kings, or the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them, and they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So this wasn't just any old party. There was a spiritual part. There was a religious part to it. They were giving credit to false gods for the victory of Babylon over Israel and the people of Jerusalem. So they're saying, our gods are better than your God. We're going to praise these gods of silver and stone because we took these vessels from your temple. There they were. And all of a sudden, there is a hand that starts writing 
on the wall. Verse 5, suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall in the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. And then verse 6, very graphic picture of what happened to him. Then the king's face grew pale and his thoughts alarmed him and his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. Can you imagine this powerful king, the the most powerful ruler in the world? He is so scared, he's about to fall down on the ground. Hips and knees and face. What a terrifying event. It's no wonder Belshazzar was, was scared. Hands without bodies don't usually write on the wall, do they? There's usually a body connected to the hand, and he's wondering, what in the world does this mean? Must be some kind of a message with this handwriting on the wall, and he wanted to know what it was. So what do Babylonian kings do? They gather the wise men, right? They'll certainly have an answer. No, they didn't have an answer. His false gods had no answer. Even if he promised great reward to the one who could interpret that, and there was no one who could tell him what it meant. And verse 9 says, Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, whiter than before, and his nobles were perplexed. Here was a king. He was ready to pass out. He didn't know what to do. The wise men of Babylon had failed him just like they did his father Nebuchadnezzar. False gods couldn't help him. But I would suggest to you that God was putting this man in a position where he had nowhere else to look but to God. God did that with Nebuchadnezzar, right? Put him in a position where he had nowhere to look but to God. He was out there eating grass with the cattle. The dew of heaven was falling on him. He had feathers growing from his bodies and he had claws like a bird. Remember what it says? But then he looked to heaven. Nowhere to look but up. And maybe that's what God was going to do with Belshazzar. Maybe that was his plan, that Belshazzar would come to the place where he would realize that he needed to humble himself before the only one who could help him. The queen must have heard some of the commotion going on in the banquet hall because she comes into the rescue And she says in verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom, a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. She words it. And she says, in the days of your father, he was this one who came and interpreted the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar. An extraordinary spirit of knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas and solving of difficult problems were found in this man, this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. So she says, you need to call Daniel. Your wise men have no answer. You need to call Daniel. So Daniel was brought in and the king said to him, I personally have heard about you. That you're able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now, if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you'll be clothed in purple. 
You'll wear a necklace of gold around your neck and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel said, I don't really care about that. That is not my concern. Take your money. (laughs) Take your rewards. Take your position. I don't need it. But here was a king that was so desperate, he was willing to just about do anything. If he could find the answer to that handwriting on the wall, which said many... Menetekel of Harson. I have no idea if I pronounced that right, but you can read it in verse 29. If you know how to pronounce it, tell me after the service so I can get it right. So that was the words that were written on the wall. And so Daniel comes and he, he tells the king the interpretation. But before he does that, <laughs> I find it very interesting. He didn't just come and say, here's what it means. Before he does that, he gives him a little history lesson. He reminded him of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 18. He says, O king, the Most High granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Verse 19. He uh, was ruler over all peoples, nations, men of every language. If he wanted to kill someone, he could. If he wanted to spare someone, he could. Whoever he elevated, he elevated. And whoever he wished, he humbled. But, verse 20, when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was disposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away. And he describes, he was sent out, ate grass like cattle, feathers growing, claws growing, until, verse 21, He recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and He sets it over it whomever He wishes. He says, now Belshazzar, this is history. And you know about this. Verse 22, he says, Yet you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. In other words, you are aware of everything I told you, and yet you still refuse to humble yourself before God. Evidently, Belshazzar was so confident in himself that what happened to his father wasn't going to happen to him. You saw it. You aren't ignorant. You know exactly what God can do. And yet you still refuse to humble yourself before God. Handwriting was on the wall, right? I remember in 1975, I was a junior in high school. And we were to play in the district championship, District 26 basketball against our neighboring town, the Eskimos. Good name, huh? And they were in the Polar League. Literally. (laughs) Well, there were two classes of of teams back then, just A and AA. And when I was a junior, we were about one of the largest schools in Class A. And then when I was a senior, we were one of the smallest classes schools in AA. We were kind of on the border there. Esco was our smaller neighbor town. They played in the Polar League. And they came into that game 23-0. and And they thought, 
we are going to clean their clock. So they sent to our school flowers. This is true. Flowers for our pep fest, inviting us to our funeral at the University of Minnesota Duluth Gym. Ah. Kind of proud of yourself, huh? Kind of know what's going to happen? We were like 19 and 4, something like that, but we had played all the bigger schools like the Duluth High Schools and Superior, Wisconsin, and schools like that. And we get to the gym, and there was a casket in the corner of the gym, and a body dressed up like a lumberjack. We were the cloquet lumberjacks. And we thought, aha, uh-huh, you're even more proud than we thought you were. And I can still remember our coach saying, in the locker room before that game, he said, I don't think I have to say anything to motivate you for this game. And we went out there and we cleaned their clock. I should not be proud of that because we're talking about humility, but... <laughs> Just a little bit proud. And what made it such a... I don't know... We had several families from Esco in our church, plus many families from Cloquet in our church. And during that week, oh, I heard it over and over. Ah, you guys, eh, better watch out for those Eskimos. You better watch out. But in our mind, the handwriting was on the wall. It applied to them. And there's still guys from that team that just, oh, they just cannot... Live that down. Going to undefeated all year and then run into the mighty lumberjacks. And they were humbled. Well, what does God do with pride? God's able to humble us, right? Nebuchadnezzar? No, he refused to humble himself before God. A second lesson we learn, the handwriting is on the wall for those who not only refuse to humble themselves, but who exalt themselves before God. It's one thing to refuse to humble yourself, but Daniel goes on to tell Belshazzar that you did something worse. Verse 23, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. And he goes back to the drinking of the wine from these vessels He says in verse 23, you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. Now, some might wonder, well, they were just just drinking wine from these vessels. What's what's the big deal? What's so bad about that? It wasn't like he was bringing out his best china for, you know, the feast. That wasn't it at all. There was a spiritual purpose here. Belshazzar was exalting himself against the Lord by praising his false gods. He was saying that the Babylonian gods were greater than the Lord of heaven because they had defeated the people of God. They had taken their vessels from their temple in Jerusalem and they had destroyed the city. And they were exalting themselves against the true God, the Most High God. 
Uh, Dale Ralph Davis, in his commentary on Daniel, asked the question, was what Belshazzar did so bad? And he answers by saying yes. Verse 23, Daniel says, you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. He goes on to say, that's why Belshazzar and his crowd, that's what Belshazzar and his crowd were doing when they used the temple vessels for their wine and sang doxologies to non-gods that couldn't even hear the praise. It was a sign indeed that he believed that this God, whose vessels he was abusing and whose name he was insulting, had now in Babylon no reality or power. Belshazzar had counted him out. And the imagery involved surely supports such an inference. We may put it crassly, contempt for God's stuff is the same as contempt for God himself. And then he gives this illustration. He said, if you arrive at your office and you find that your desk, your chair, your filing cabinets, your briefcases, your coffee maker, your computer, your pictures and knickknacks are all sitting in the hall outside your office door, you immediately get the point. It's not merely that your stuff is out, but that you are out. So Belshazzar's demeaning of God's vessels was his way of demeaning God himself. Belshazzar was not simply a drunken slob, he says, but a profane slob. <laughs> so, what are the chances when you exalt yourself against God? Is that a battle worth fighting? You'd be a fool to do what Belshazzar did to take your stand against God himself. Psalm 2 answers that question. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. And what is God's response to that? Psalm 2 verse 4 says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. So you pay a price when you exalt yourself against God and Belshazzar should have known better, right? Daniel gave him a history. You saw what God did to your father. You know all about it. And yet still, you not only refuse to humble yourself, but you have exalted yourself against the God of heaven. Like many in positions of power and authority, it went to his head. And he thought he could shake his fist in the face of God and get away with it. How foolish. In December of 1908, December 28th to be exact, a tragic event occurred in the city of Messina, or Messina, Italy. You can read about it. An earthquake destroyed the city and 75,000 people died. Now, is there a geological explanation for that? Well, they give one. 
The cause of the earthquake was the shifting of plates under the sea. But there may have been another cause to that. Because on Christmas Day, three days before this event, a newspaper in the city published a parody daring God to make himself known by sending an earthquake. And three three days later, he did. Shake your fist in the face of God. Exalt yourself in the face of God. How foolish. So the handwriting is on the wall for those who exalt themselves against God. Thirdly, the handwriting is on the wall for those who refuse to glorify God. Look at all the ways that Daniel describes God in his message to Belshazzar. You see why he deserves the glory. Verse 18, he is the most high God who grants sovereignty to the kings of the earth. Verse 21, the most high God is ruler over the realm of mankind. Verse 23, God is the Lord of heaven, the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways. Verse 26, He is the God that numbers the days of the kingdoms of the world. Verse 27, Daniel says that God evaluates the kingdoms of the world. Verse 28, God puts one kingdom down and He gives it to another. So the God of Daniel rules from heaven over the kingdoms of the world and the only proper response to this God is to give Him glory, to give Him praise. But notice Belshazzar wasn't about to give God glory. Daniel says in verse 23, You have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways, you have not glorified. You have not given glory to this one and only God, Who deserves the glory? And verse 30 says, That same night, the very night when Belshazzar saw the handwriting on the wall, that same night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was slain, so Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of of 62. That same night. That's like a flashing red light at the end of this chapter, isn't it? It's an abrupt ending. An abrupt ending to a very powerful kingdom in the death of its final ruler, final king, Belshazzar. And it's a reminder to us that things can change in a moment, right? In a moment. There's a parable that Jesus told about a rich farmer in Luke chapter 12. Remember him? What shall I do with all my goods and all my product? And I'll build bigger barns and, and I'll say to myself, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Remember what God said to him? 
Very similar to what we see in our text. He said, you fool. This very night. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? Whose will it be then? Won't be yours. Even though you said, oh soul, you've got many goods laid up for many years. Just enjoy it all. And God said, no, this very night. Then who will own all these things? Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who does what Belshazzar did or does what this rich farmer did is going to face immediate judgment. But if there's no, no repentance of sin, if there's no faith in Jesus, eventually that day will come. Judgment will come. You can count on it. Charles Finney, as a young lawyer, was sitting in a law office in the state of New York. Finney had just finished his schooling and was about to begin as a, as a lawyer. Uh, early in the day, he was sitting in that office waiting to visit with this other lawyer when the Lord began to deal with him. And it's as if the Lord was, was, was speaking to him audibly and said, Finney, what are you going to do when you finish your course? He said, well, I'm going to put out a shingle and practice law. Then what? He said, well, get rich. Then what? Retire. Then what? Finney said, die. Then what? Then what? And the words came trembling from Finney's mouth. The judgment. And the story is told, he ran to the woods and poured out his heart before God and came out a, a changed man. Finney saw the handwriting on the wall, didn't he? He saw the day of judgment was going to come. But different from Belshazzar, Finney put his trust in the Lord. Finney repented of his sin and trusted Jesus for his salvation. He knew that one day he was going to stand before God. And he knew that he wasn't ready to meet him. So let me ask you as we close today, have you seen the handwriting on the wall? Are you ready to meet the Lord? The good news is that you and I can be ready. If you know Jesus, the handwriting on the wall that declares judgment, the law of God that declares judgment, as we sang just a little bit ago. What did Jesus do? He took that on himself. He carried it to the cross and he nailed it there. Paul describes it in Colossians 2. Listen to this. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 
So think of that, that handwriting on the wall that applies to us. Jesus took that decree of death. He carried it himself. He nailed it to the cross. Paul says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that's why Paul says in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the good news, isn't it? This text is full of law. <laughs> it's heavy. It's judgment. And we need to be consistent with the text, but we don't end there. The good news is that that handwriting on the wall, that decree of death, has been placed upon Jesus. And it's gone. There is no condemnation. I was thinking of that this morning as I was looking at my notes on my computer. And there are times when you just think, no, I need to say that differently. So you select that text, you hit delete, what happens? It's gone. I just thought, wow. My sin, the decree against me. Jesus took that. And praise God from whom all blessings flow. It is God. It's God. So we can rejoice today. The handwriting's on the wall. There will come a day when we will stand before God. But in Jesus now we stand in grace. This grace in which we stand, Romans 5 says, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of of God. That's what Jesus has done. And we can rejoice in that. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the fact that that decree against us, that handwriting on the wall that declares judgment against sin, that decree has been placed upon Jesus where He nailed it to the cross. He took our sin away. And Lord, we can leave rejoicing in Your goodness, Your mercy to us today. Lord, help us to rest then in Jesus, to trust in Him alone, to confess our sin to Him, knowing that He paid that price for us. And we can leave this place today rejoicing in Your goodness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.